0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. As we come to the end of a series that we've been journeying with over the last six weeks called Rhythms of Grace. And we have been looking at some of the core practices, what some people might call spiritual disciplines, about what it looks like to live the way of Jesus, what it means to live as a Christian. And so we've been unpacking not all of them, there's lots of them. But over over the past weeks we've been looking at things like Sabbath and simplicity and prayer and fasting. And one of the things that I mentioned early on when we, uh, when we got going in this series was that if we're invited to live in a rhythm of grace, if we're, if we're invited to live in the way of Jesus, if we want to live in grace and kind of this kind of idea that, that Jesus says, we've taken Matthew chapter 11, the words of Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. As Eugene Peterson says, uh, as he kind of... Uh, translates it, paraphrases Jesus' words in a way and says, come walk with me and work with me. I will show you how to live. I will show you, I invite you into the unforced rhythms of grace. To live in that way is, is not just to know it, not, not just to know the way of Jesus. John Mark Comer says we are called to live not just the life of Jesus, we're called to live in the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus had a way of living that was filled with grace. Jesus had practices in his life that was filled with joy and peace. Jesus lived an unhurried life and he says to us, be yoked with me, walk with me and you'll also know this life. See, living the way of Jesus is to live in the lifestyle of Jesus. And so this last Uh, Subject, this last area, this last practice, this last rhythm that we're going to look at is actually surprising. It's the practice of hospitality. The practice of hospitality. Now, if you read some of the great spiritual discipline classics, you won't see hospitality in there. But when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he lives in every part of his life, a lifestyle of hospitality. He lives a life of hospitality. And he then invites us and Paul goes on to tell us, commission us, command us to also live in the way of hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, we read these words. I want to give you a bit of context before we get to, uh, to hospitality. Romans 12 verses 9 on says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. So you've got this lacing of love for other and service to the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're told not just to be hospitable, but we are told, Paul says, to walk in the lifestyle of Jesus, to practice it. Practice hospitality. Now, I don't know what your vision is or your sort of hospitality is. I, I, I grew up in a home that was filled with hospitality. Uh, my mum just loves to, to to have people over and share table fellowship. I'm going to use that word a little bit, table fellowship, having people over. And uh, my dad, I remember every Sunday we'd just have different people over from church and the house would just, it, it, feel, it felt at times like an open door policy, particularly when I was in my teenage years and, and into my early 20s before I decided to move out of home. Uh, I, uh, I There was just this open door policy. People would just always be coming in and out and they wouldn't be just friends or you know, acquaintances, they'd be, it you know, felt at times like random people, you know, the people from very different backgrounds, uh, people uh, who were sometimes challenging, you know, people who certainly want, who weren't from the same faith background as us. Were, there were some challenging people that we came. And as we continued, we also had people who, who came from other countries. And my parents, I, I used to live downstairs with a two-story house. House and I had a bedroom, and they kind of developed the, the other half just for guests to come in. And so, we particularly people from the South, uh, the South Pacific would come and, and regularly stay. And it did get to a point where I, I wasn't enjoying this, I'll be honest, where, where they'd come and they'd use my bathroom and they'd use my soap and they would use my razors. And I remember having a word with my parents saying, it's wonderful, mum and dad, that you're so generous with your space and with your time, but it's not really working for me. I did have that conversation on, on a couple of occasions, but, but I'm very grateful for their heart to open the home too many but we had I remember having lots of laughs as we shared the table with people that I just wouldn't normally hang out with and uh, and so I picked up, I, I I picked up some of this and so when I got married to Megan I wanted to do you know have a similar kind of thing but I don't think I fully understood what hospitality was and so my idea of hospitality was on Sunday after church just inviting my friends back for lunch and I, I wouldn't tell Megan this you know I'm, Megan is an amazing cook she, and uh, an amazing if anyone's experienced Megan's cook she's amazing I thought this is, this is great I'm just going to invite my friends from church back every Sunday without telling her That lasted about three weeks. And then Megan pulled me inside and said, Andrew, we're not doing this anymore. You're not doing this anymore. And it's not because Megan wasn't hospitable. It's because that somehow I'd misunderstood actually what the heart of hospitality was. And I certainly didn't understand what it was to honour and love my wife. See, I think we've got a, 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 a hospitality is misunderstood. See, you may be sitting here right now going, we're talking about hospitality. I hate cooking. This sermon is not for me. <laughs> Anyone just sitting here going like that? Say, oh my goodness, what hospitality? Were you kidding me? Barely cooked Toast. See that's our vision of hospitality. When we think of hospitality, we think of this beautiful meal that's prepared and, this, and, and candles and beautiful lighting and ambiance, Kind of, that is what ultimate hospitality is. Oh, I want to tell you that that is what hospitality isn't. That is not what hospitality is. That's not the heart of hospitality when we read the word hospitality, in, 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 it, the, the word actually comes from Latin. And uh, it does, it means to be generous and kind and welcoming to your friends and, and to acquaintances. But that's actually not what the word is in the New Testament. The, the Greek, it's actually a Greek word, not a Latin word. And, and, and the word that, that it is, it's actually the word phyloxenia or phyloxenos. It's actually two words put together, compound together. Philo meaning love. It's one of the four words of love that we read in the, in the Greek language. Philo meaning brotherly love. Xenos. Well, we know what the word xenos. Is. Xenos is stranger. We know xenos from the word xenophobia. When we reject the stranger, when we're afraid of the stranger, See, hospitality, the vision of hospitality in the New Testament is love for the stranger. It's love for the other. And Jesus lived and showed us what a life of love for the other, love for the stranger looks like. As he invited people into his life and into his world. Jesus lived with a heart of, of, of hospitality. To put it in a really tacky way, I know this sounds really bad, but Jesus was the host with the most. <laughs> it was central to his ministry. You know his first miracle was at a wedding and uh, they'd run out of wine and so you know the story bring me the water that was his first that was his announcement into public ministry Jesus ministry started with hospitality Jesus ministry ended with hospitality you see him the resurrected Jesus kind of appear to the disciples and they're freaking out and he's going "Is anyone I'm really fanging for some food right now you know, one of his last moments that we read in the, in the scriptures is he's sitting on a beach and he's having fish and chips. I'm not sure about the chips, but it sounds good. <laughs> fish and chips with Peter. Peter who had denied him three times. And he sits with Peter and over fish. Relationship is restored. Hospitality was central to who Jesus was. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, there's 19 separate occasions where Jesus sits and has table fellowship with others. Jesus is presenting a new way of living. This is a new way to live in the kingdom. As Tim Chester says, the table fellowship of Jesus, with its ethic of grace rather than reciprocity, was, cre- was creating a new countercultural society. In the midst of the empire, Jesus brought about a new way to live, and he invites us to live in this way as well a new way of grace, living in grace, a life of hospitality hospitality that reaches out to the other, to the stranger. And so, we're going to look at a couple of examples. I'm going to anchor it in a story that we all know a simple story where Jesus shows hospitality to the other to the stranger. Love to the stranger. It's the story of Zacchaeus that we read in Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, open up. The words will be on the screen behind me. Let's read this story together. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now he's entering Jericho. That's the, we need to tag that just to start with. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a I I love just the terse language here. Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of Anything I will pay back four times the amount," Jesus said to him. "Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." What's interesting is uh, there's another, and we'll, we'll get to another story a little bit later on. But there's only two times where where we read in the Gospels for the Son of Man came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <coughs> table fellowship was central to Jesus. In fact, if you understand the context, table fellowship was, was central to Jewish culture. You know, uh, eating together, having a meal together was, was something deeply significant, something that I think that we don't really have in our context, in our culture today. It was a social marker. When you had a meal with someone, when you sat down and had a meal, it fulfilled uh, something. It said something about the so- social fabric of a society as Mark Moore says, and he's, he's written a bit on this, uh, he, he speaks about what the function of eating together did in a Jewish context. But essentially it was to create solidarity. It was to create community. It was, it was to create boundaries. Boundaries of who was in and who was out. Therefore, when you had a banquet, when you invited people to a banquet, you were very intentional because you wanted to associate with certain people. You wanted to say these people are in and these people are not. Jesus speaks a lot about banquets and he changes, he flips the narrative if you read the Gospels. Meals were about who was in, who was out. It reminded the household of where loyalties lay and there were concentric, Circles around hierarchy around who was in this also bled across into ritual, it also bled across into the way in which religion was done. Certain meals resembled uh, uh sacred practices and, and practices as, as the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, reminding themselves of the story that they were part of. That's why the Passover with all its ritual and structure, spoke deeply about society, about who people were. Meals, table fellowship was deeply important. And the Pharisees managed to get hold of this. I think some of these things we would say were good, but then the Pharisees began to make demarcations in regards to meals and who was in, who was out, who the others were, who sinners were. And so Tim Chester goes on to say, we heard from him before, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, if you gave a dish to the poor, it became unclean because the poor were the great unwashed who didn't fulfill ceremonial washing. But, and here's the but, but Jesus says the dish becomes clean because it expresses love. And so Jesus goes out to exactly those that the Pharisees had declared unclean. Jesus goes to those who, the, who, who um, the Pharisees had declared sinners. And so there's great shock as we read this story, and it's a well known story. I many have read this story many times before of Zacchaeus. The great shock as Jesus comes through Jericho, as he sees Zacchaeus, is that, is that uh, he has invited himself over. He is going to sit at a table of fellowship with a sinner. We've covered this before at different points, but particularly for Luke. Luke uses this word sinner. It's a catch-all phrase for all those people that are ceremonially unclean, all those who are not worthy of being in the kingdom of God. Tax collectors, chief tax collectors, were right at the top of the list. And Jesus identifies the chief sinner the person who is isolated and outside and says Zacchaeus I'm coming to your house today I'm going to sit with you I want to be with you and the shock and the horror now you know, we don't really connect with tax collectors these days. It's not like we sit here in, our, in Brisbane in the 21st century and go, oh, how, how obscene. Tax collectors, are you kidding? Well, maybe you do. I'm, I'm not quite sure what your relationship is with the government right now. But I reckon there's other groups of people. You know, if you heard that Jesus said, so you know what? He, Jesus invited over a sex offender. Or a convicted criminal, or someone who's someone else who's culturally offensive. You think of those kind of things, and Jesus says, "I'm I'm hanging out with that person today." You can imagine how offensive that would be. And Jesus uses a meal, table fellowship, this very deep. Act within that context and that culture to say, I am renewing the story. I'm changing the story. I'm stepping into a world and I'm using table fellowship to say, there is grace here. He invites himself, and I love this, I pointed out before, Jesus invites himself over. He says... It's not Zacchaeus. I'd really like for you to come over. I'm putting on this dinner party. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be water there, but you know what that means. Uh, you know, so, oh, it's going to be it's going to be incredible. And then and then you know, there's five loaves and two fish. You know, but uh, we'll see where that goes. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He says, "I'm coming to your house today." You know, I reckon we live in a world, and this speaks powerfully I think into a world that is deeply isolated if there was one person that was isolated in that context in that culture it was Zacchaeus Jesus needed to be a person who goes Zacchaeus I'm coming to yours I'm stepping into your world because Zacchaeus wasn't going to say Jesus will you step into mine we live in a time of isolation it's offensive in some ways so you know you would not today go hey I'd really like to come to your house for dinner now, maybe that's not what we're called to do, but maybe it is to say, hey, listen, I'd really like to spend some time with you. Let's grab a coffee. Hey, at a lunch break with that person at work who's really struggling or the outsider or whatever it is. Hey, I want to step into your world because there are so many people right now who don't know even how to invite people into theirs. We live in a time of isolation and guardedness where people literally don't know how to invite people into their world. Jesus identifies the isolated and the lonely. And he says, I'm hanging out with you. Who are the people in your world? Who are the people in your street? It may take some courage to knock on a door and say, I'd really like to get to know you. Here's a meal. Here's a coffee. Here's a voucher. I don't know, whatever it is, I'd like to be with you. Jesus does it in a culture and a context of the person who's isolated. And it's the gift. It is a gift that we have for our world today. Rosaria Butterfield says this, Practising hospitality in our post-Christian world means that you develop thick skin. The hospitable meet people as strangers and invite them to become neighbours. And by God's grace, many will go on to be part of the family of God. This transition from stranger to neighbor to family does not happen naturally, but only with intent and grit and sacrifice and God's blessing. But that is who we're called to be. We see it with Jesus. He goes to meet the stranger, he goes out to Zacchaeus, and we're called to do the same. Who are the people in your world? Who are the people in your street? You know, I love the fact that, that in our care ministry here, God has called us to go out. We started care ministry at the beginning of COVID and we started a lunch where we invited people in and that's continued and it's been an absolute joy to see people come in and enjoy hospitality. But we realised that that wasn't the only way that we, God was calling us to do hospitality. And so we started doing walks. We decided to go out. Go onto the streets. Go and say hello to people who are lying, sleeping rough on the side of the street. You know, we take bananas and water and up and goes or whatever. And that's wonderful. But what's really beautiful is it actually is a pathway and door to bring dignity. To have conversations. To connect with people. See, the food, the thing, is the way in. The way in as we go out. God has called us as a church to go out. God is calling us as Christians, as individuals, to get some thick skin, to get some courage and be like Jesus and love the stranger. Food, whatever that looks like, is the gift that makes the way for connection to take place. What I love too, and the the point is probably, and I missed this before, hospitality is about embracing the stranger. Sorry, I missed that before. Firstly, hospitality is about embracing the stranger. We see then that hospitality is actually about empowering the stranger, embracing the stranger. Sorry, empowering the stranger. Hospitality empowers rather than impresses. You know, I think that so often when we think of hospitality, we think, I need to impress the other. Put on the banquet. That's what was culturally going on at the time in, in, in that Jewish culture. The reason that, that one of the reasons they put on banquets and dinners is it would be a place where they could impress others with their wealth and with their capacity to converse. But we see with Jesus that in his economy of hospitality, he actually empowers rather than impresses. He empowers Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming over. And Zacchaeus goes, yeah, come on over. And we see the transformation that takes place as Zacchaeus takes on the role of hospitality. There is a transformation that takes place. I love another story earlier on in Luke Luke chapter seven, where we see that there, Jesus again is invited to a, a banquet Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus, and they're sitting in the courtyard, and and there's all these important guests, and they're there to dialogue, to talk, as they did. It was a show of power, it was a show of societal kind of status. Jesus sits there, and this woman comes in. She's called a sinful woman, but it's kind of a code word. She would have been a sex worker. And she walks in and Jesus is lying there and she lets down her hair. She weeps on his feet and then dries his feet with her hair and then pours perfume on him. It is charged. I mean, this is kind of as awkward as it gets. Some theologians say that the woman is, is only doing what, she, what she's doing to Jesus is the only way that she knows how to relate to men. To have your hair down in that culture was deeply, deeply controversial. It's the only way that she knew how to relate to Jesus. Yet Jesus responds to this act of hospitality in the context of table fellowship. He enables and he allows this woman to bring what she has, to bring who she is to the table. See, hospitality isn't about saying, it's not a power play. It's not about saying, I will do this and therefore you will reciprocate another point. Hospitality is opening your life up and saying, I allow you to participate in this meal. I allow you to participate in my life. And Jesus, you can imagine in that moment, he just looks at that woman with great compassion and love. And the way that we can do that, the only way that we can look with compassion and love on the, on the other, the stranger, the sinner, whoever it might be, is when we can see them through the lens of Christ and see the people that we come across with as image bearers of God. People who are made and created just like you in the image of God. What I really love about the table and about food is that it's a very egalitarian thing. Everybody has to eat, rich or poor, whatever your family background, whatever your religion, whatever it is, whatever your story, everyone has to eat. And there is something in the process of eating, I find, when you gather around the table, doesn't matter what your story is, everyone's doing the same thing. I love that Jesus just engages with this woman sees her for who she is and can, with his deep love, see her heart. We embrace the stranger when we invite them into our world. We show hospitality by allowing them to be who they are in our midst. Without any judgment, we invite them into our life. Sounds great, doesn't it? But when you really put that into practice, you invite someone into your home, someone into your life who is on the nose, socially or literally, whatever that might be, well, that's a different story. Jesus empowers, hospitality empowers rather than impresses. It embraces the stranger. And at its heart, hospitality is all about sacrificial service. There's one final meal that I want to point to. It's right at the end of Jesus' ministry and Jesus is about to die. And he knows it. And he celebrates with his disciples in a meal. And we read this in John chapter 13, verse 2 says this, The evening meal was in progress. We know from other stories that Jesus had gone ahead and prepared. It was the Passover meal. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Okay, so Jesus has organised a meal with his closest twelve. He already knows that Judas is going to betray him. And as we're going to see a little bit later, and he's had an altercation with Peter. about the whole thing. Well, he's about to have an altercation with Peter. There's a lot of dynamics going on in this place. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then we go on to see that Peter's going, what are you doing, Lord? Well, then wash all of me. And, Hoo-ha-ha. What's going on in this moment? Jesus is in the context of a meal of table fellowship saying this is my posture to you. This is how you live my way. This is my invitation to you. If you want to walk in the lifestyle of Jesus, if you want to walk in my lifestyle, if you want to walk in my way, then you need to serve. It's all about service. Jesus is showing in a visceral way the key to hospitality, the key to love, the key to the kingdom. See, the only way that we can truly live a life of hospitality, true love to the stranger, to the other, is by actually coming and serving. The only way to grace We've been celebrating rhythms of grace. We've been looking at rhythms of grace. The only way that you get to grace is by getting on your knees and serving. Because grace says, I can't do it. Grace says, I am unable. Grace is an act of humility. And here is the rabbi, here is the great teacher, the one that they've followed for three years who's done incredible miracles. During the table, during a meal that he has organised, he gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet and he says, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way, this is the key to live my way, to live in the lifestyle of Jesus. And then he goes, as we know, he goes all the way to the cross and he dies for his disciples. He dies for you and for me. He shows us the way to grace. The way to live a life, the way to live a lifestyle of Jesus is to follow his way of service, which is actually the way of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his seminal book, The Cost of Discipleship, a book about how to live the way of Jesus, writes this. He says this, As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with His death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Christ. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him come and die. The way to grace is through death. The way that we live a life of hospitality, the way that we live a life of love, the way that we live a life of service is through death. That's the invitation to be a Christian. To follow Jesus is to come and die. But as we die, we get life. That was a great joy about celebrating the baptisms last weekend, to see seven people say, you know what, I'm identifying with Christ because I know that the only way to life, the only way to freedom is by dying to myself and rising again in new life with Christ. And I wanna say to you this morning, if you haven't made that step, if you haven't said to Jesus, I'm letting go, I, uh, God, I need you. If you haven't died to yourself to receive his goodness and his grace, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Because it's in death that we find life and Jesus powerfully, before he goes to the cross, gets on his knees and shows his disciples what it means to live the kingdom life, a life of service, a life of hospitality. And here's the thing, with 12 men and a few others that were around, women as well in that upper room. Jesus shows us the key to changing the world. Jesus' hospitality changes the world forever. That's how we change the world. Hospitality is how we change the world. It's through the gospel of Jesus Rosaria Butterfield says this, engaging in radically ordinary hospitality means we provide the time necessary to build strong relationships with people who think differently than we do as well as build strong relationships from within the family of God. Radically ordinary hospitality shows this sceptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. As I look out in our world today, I reckon that this is such a key for us to shine the good news of Jesus, to invite people into our world. We live in a world that doesn't know how to do hospitality. We live in a world more and more that doesn't know how to engage with the other, to engage with the stranger, to engage with people who are different, who, to engage with people who have different views. Yet there is something that we have in Christ because Christ has served us so we can serve others who are very different from us, who have very different opinions, worldviews, people who, who who, who are on the other spectrum, the other side, we can come with grace and love. I love Rosaria Butterfield's story. She's written a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And that's been her experience. Hospitality changed her life. Rosaria Butterfield uh, was a feminist lesbian working in as an academic. She's a professor at Syracuse University in New York. She'd written an article um, in one of the local uh, newspapers. She she was doing research about um, changing political agendas in, in those spaces. And a pastor wrote to her, invited her over for a meal. And she didn't want to go, but she thought it would be good for her research. She was, I was listening to her story the other day. She said it took about 500 meals. She was just invited into a the ta- a table of hospitality. Her life was changed. She's now married to a pastor. She's written this book and she lives a life of radical hospitality to those in her street and those in a world, an open door policy, always expecting people to come around. Check out the book if you want, it's quite challenging. But she says, this is the way in which we reach a world that doesn't know what Jesus looks like. This is the way we reach the world for Jesus. It's how the church conquered the Roman world. The church, listen, the church, this this ragtag group of people in a huge empire that had spanned major parts of the world, organised military system and structure, changed forever by this ragtag group. How? By sharing meals together one house at a time. A persecuted church that couldn't have church services like this met together in homes and broke bread and shared fellowship. We see it in the early Acts, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four. They broke together in their homes and from house to house to house across the table, the kingdom spread. The empire was changed. I think it's the gift that we have for the empire that we live in today. It does take thick skin courage. And as Rosaria Butterfield says, the place to start may be in your front lawn. Having a conversation with your neighbor. Having a conversation with those who are walking past. Inviting them into your life. Inviting them into your home. But, people, this is what God has called us to be. This is who God has called us to be. We are called to love. We are called to love. We are called to love those who are very different to us. And we see throughout the life of Jesus, He did it with those He walked with. And we see in the life of Jesus, He has done it with us. We cannot keep it to ourselves. So I want you to ask the question, what simple step may you take to step towards hospitality you may remembered a few weeks ago i i shared shared about the common rule and there are a whole bunch of practices and i'm 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 slowly building up towards it some i'm doing better than others encourage you to keep going with if you decided to do something what are the steps what are the practices that you're putting in place in your life in order to for you to live in the lifestyle of jesus in the common rule it's spend one day a meal with other people every day maybe for you it's in your workplace in your community in your neighbourhood finding ways in which you can radically invite people to a table of fellowship to give them the dignity and honour that Christ gives us and see the kingdom at work without judgement but with grace because that's what Jesus did for us you know I've got here as you can see I've I've got a communion table. It represents the invitation that God has invited to us. He's invited us to the table. I was just reminded in prayer this morning of Psalm 23. He prepares for me a table. He prepares for me a table. In the presence of my enemies, my cup overflows we see throughout the Scripture, God invites us to a meal, to a banquet, to a party. This, isn't a, this is serious business, but it's a serious business of joy. It's a serious business of celebration. It's the serious business of life. Here's what I'd love us to do. I'm going to get the band to come up. And what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion together. What I'd love for you to do is... Um, is come when in, in a moment after I prayed. If you're a believer here today, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited to the table to come and to grab a, a piece of bread and, and grab some juice and take it back and maybe, maybe by yourself or with others around you, just give thanks to God and thank Him. And then I want you to be still either before or after you take communion, as you remind yourself of what Christ has done for you, how how He has invited you to the table, how He has died for you and for me. His blood's poured out for you, His body broken for us. I want you to ask the question, Lord, how can I invite other people to my table? How can I invite people to see you and to experience your goodness and grace in a new way? Why don't we stand? I'm only getting you to stand so you're mobilized, ready to move. That's it. You can get calm and grab it in a moment then go back and grab a seat. But let me let me pray. God, I thank you that you have throughout your story Lord God through Jesus Christ you've shown us time and time again what true hospitality looks like it's such a gift thank you for your grace thank you that we strangers outsiders people who are broken and lost Lord God you came and you found us and you brought us in you invited yourself in and Lord God, you, you invite us into a meal and you say, I am yours. You came to serve us in order that we may know new life. And Lord God, as we, as we come this morning, God, may you speak to us. May you refresh us anew. And Lord Jesus, may you empower us, Lord God. As we remind ourselves of who you are and what you've done, God, will you call us afresh to walk in your way, walk in the lifestyle of Jesus. It's a wonderful name. Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.